Well, good evening, Mosaic family. Would you stand and worship with us? Let's keep our eyes fixed on Christ. Would you bring your attention to Him? Let's celebrate Him tonight. Pray these words together. You make the starry host. You trace the mountain peaks. You paint the evening skies with wonder. The earth, it is your throne. From desert to the seas, all nature testifies your splendor. Praise the Lord. in love. Distance. 
guys sound beautiful. Would you have a seat and take a look at this video? We're just there to support each other in life through whatever comes. We just love on each other. Being with women who have experienced the same thing, I realize I am not alone and I don't have to do this alone. The camaraderie and the love of Jesus just brings us all together. And to get to know the other ladies, we pray for one another here, doing life together in community. My mother had passed away quite unexpectedly, just dealing with the loss of my son's physical abilities. I was his caregiver and I was having knee trouble and about to have surgery and I met two ladies who invited me to Sage. These ladies don't just say that they will pray for you, they just stop and pray. When my son became ill and was in the hospital, they were messaging me constantly and wanting to bring food and coming to see us and when he passed away, I know that they were praying. God puts the people here to be his hands and feet and we just have to open up and accept it. My husband Glenn passed away even though he was very ill and I knew his days were coming to an end. It was still devastating. It's still hard for me sometimes to walk through each day but Sage has truly truly helped me a lot with getting back on my feet emotionally and spiritually. We can go there one week and we'll just talk. We'll pray for each other. And, and that is sometimes all the encouragement I need to make it through another day, to make it through another week. I've been drawn to women in relationships and the Sage Group is so vital we need these relationships. Oh, I just feel so much more enriched as we walk together and we share. There's a lot of trust and confidentiality. And then, you know, we feast together with the friendship, with the Word of God. And then we feast together and having food, breaking bread together like Jesus did. It's a safe place. You will have women surround you and care for you. You walk together. It's a big church here that we're in. So having this time to uh, share and getting acquainted and then praying with each other. It's just nice to walk in to the church on Saturday evening and there's a whole group of ladies sitting there that you already know. We're, we're meant to be in communion with others, and I see that with these ladies. They encourage me to put God first and foremost, and to just turn to Him, and to rely on others. They have shown me that I'm no different from them. I belong. That has always been something very difficult for me. With Sage, I feel I fit. Hey everybody, um, I'm Melissa Church. 
Um, I'm here, and I am reading so that I don't make a fool of myself and say something stupid. So I'm here um, to cover for those who are usually here because they're all out supporting our kids at fall retreat, so um, be sure to remember them all in prayer. Um, as you just saw in the video, the women's sage groups support women of a certain age. If you would like to share your life with other women of the same-ish age in discussion and encouragement and over uh, prayer and the word, you can find information you need at mosaic.org women. Um, the information is also up there. There's no registration required and there's no child care provided. No one? Really? No one? Okay. Okay. For all the women of Mosaic, tomorrow we will be celebrating the end of summer and looking forward to fall with an old-fashioned ice cream Sunday fellowship. Um, tomorrow from 4 to 6 at the Lodge, bring your favorite topping to share and come and taste everybody else's. Um, Carrie Tuckle. Tucker will give us a rundown of what's happening um, this fall. Laura Self is going to lead us in worship, and we'll hear from a local nonprofit women's ministry that uh, the women will partner with this season. So hope you'll be there. There's no registration required. Uh, lastly, this is the final week of our Grow Together series, and next week we start studying the book of Philippians together. So that series will take us through Advent. Books are available in the foyer tonight for $10. So if you didn't see that when you came in, uh, make a pit stop at the table for those while they last on your way out of the service. And now if y'all would stand um, and join Kyle in our offering prayer. Thanks, Melissa. We appreciate you. Um, hey, we're going to pray and ask God to bless our offering. And uh, I want to just ask a question before you, you pray this. We've prayed this for a year, over a year now together. And I know I've had conversations with some of you all where it's starting to really get ingrained in your heart and in your soul, which is a beautiful thing. So with that, I want to challenge. If you have become uh, pretty used to praying this prayer I want you to try to read this prayer with a new set of lenses, a new set of eyes, um, just to challenge you. So one of my favorite things to do is when we get uh, to the last line, we give freely and not under compulsion. I just, I open my hands as a sign of surrender to the Lord. So I, I'll do that. I'm not asking you guys to do it or manipulate you to do that. Uh, but if you feel free to join me in that, it's just a new way that I've experienced this prayer. So let's pray this together for, over our offering. Oh, Father, giver of all. Every good and perfect gift has come from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, and rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiply the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion. For all we have is yours, Lord. Nothing we can give can match your great gifts to us, your son and your spirit. Let's continue to worship and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus.
this with me. that we get to do. If you would, just sit and be with Jesus and process this first. 
what do you need to release to the Lord tonight? Would you ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you? calls God the wonderful counselor. One of my favorite names of God. So in light of that, he wants to help. He wants to give you his love. But what would you say the Lord is asking you tonight to receive from God? What is he trying to give you that you just don't have your attention Stand with us as we continue to worship. in 
Good evening, Mosaic. My name is Lauren Toomer. I'm a part of our women's ministry, and I serve um, in our mom's ministry. And I am super thrilled I get to read our text tonight, which is in Matthew 28, um, 8 through 10 and 16 through 20. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And then 16 through 20 says, um, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lauren. Mm-hmm. Well, good evening. Hey, if you're new, my name's Colin, and uh, let's just get into it, yeah? You've heard this teaching before, I'm sure. And uh, there was an article just this week. I mean, it really was even Holy Spirit moment. A, a guy named Nicholas Kristof writes for the New York Times uh, in the religion column, and he said this. The article title was, America is losing religious faith. Doesn't sound like news to anybody. <laughs> He really drilled into this, this term. I don't know if you've heard it before. It was the word de-churched. And uh, it was people who have left the church and, and that they're no longer attending. And this wasn't like, I've never accepted Jesus, not been to church and don't want to. This also wasn't like, I used to go to church and I've denounced it. I, I, I left and become an atheist. This is people who would still identify, I believe there might be a God but I have nothing to do with religion or church. De-churched was the term. And uh, he said this, more people have left the church in the last 25 years than all the new people who became Christians for the first great awakening, second great awakening, and Billy Graham crusades combined. Ouch. There are various theories for what is behind the struggles of Christianity. Multiple factors are probably at work. One noted in the research is that too many people, uh, to many people, the church hasn't seemed very Christian. The reason people leave churches is not that they lose belief in God so much as they lose confidence in their religious leaders and in the church's moral leadership. How do you respond to something like that? <laughs> like, that's not like, let's change the carpet and every, maybe we'll have more skinny jeans on the stage and like better smoke machines Is that going to draw the crowd? No, that's like, hey, something is fundamentally broken at the foundation of this thing, right? Like if you were to to go to any school and you saw like, hey, students are no longer, they're not just like not showing up. They're like done with school. We would probably say like, hey, something's really off there, isn't it? We probably need to change some stuff up here. And if you are aware, this is one, nothing to panic about. So I'm not here to to kind of end of the world, end times, let's kind of muster up as much effort as we can. I I think when we do that, it actually doesn't go well in the way of Jesus, does it? One, Jesus promised that who will build his church? Oh, you gotta talk to me. Who will build his church? He will. It's not dependent on us. So first off, we don't have to fear. Second off, I don't think this is a de-church problem. I think this is a discipleship problem. Don't you agree? Uh, and this is not new to the 21st century. I'm gonna fly through these, so be ready. If you want, you can get them online later. Some of my favorite um, 20, 20th century leaders on the topic. C.S. Lewis wrote this in the 40s, 1940s. The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ and to make them little Christ. That's what the term Christian means. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. Ouch. God became man for no other purpose. It is even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. Diedrich Bonhoeffer in the face, 1930s, in the face of the church compromising to the Third Reich in Germany. Bonhoeffer says, we will not compromise. We will follow the way of Jesus. 
And if we answer the call to discipleship, where will it lead us? What decisions and partings will it demand to answer this question? We shall have to go to him, for only he knows the answer. Only Jesus Christ, who bids us to follow him, knows the journey's end. But we do know that it will be a road of boundless mercy. Discipleship means joy. Are you feeling fired up yet? Come on. Leslie Newbegin, 40 years making disciples and church plant in India, comes back to retire in England in the 80s and sees a whole new spiritual landscape. And he says, the church is the bearer to all nations of the gospel that announces the kingdom, the reign, and the sovereignty of God. It is not meant to call men and women out of the world into a safe religious enclave, but to call them out in order to send them back in as agents of God's kingdom. One more, 90s babies, where are we at? Whoop, whoop. Dallas Willard said, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him. Jesus poured his life into a few disciples and taught them to make other disciples. So the, the primary issue facing the church today, we can agree, right? It's discipleship. It's taking the, the commission, the, the final teaching of Jesus to his disciples very seriously. And yet, no matter how many times we do it, no matter how many times we read it, if you're like me, you have a syndrome that is known as the, oh, you're talking to me syndrome? Um, I recently discovered this, this syndrome with my beautiful, gracious, kind wife. I check out about five o'clock. I, I put on my other duty, full-time job, and it's dad mode. And then about eight o'clock after dad mode, I go to try to put on what's left for my sweet, gracious life, who's just excited to connect. And uh, as a pastor, I'm also an introvert. I spend a lot of days talking, and I love it, and I love listening. But there's a point where I, I can reach that max. You know what I'm talking about? And so my wife, guys, I, I kid you not, this was about three weeks ago. We're sitting in our study, eye contact happening, and she is talking and sharing the most intimate, beautiful details of her life things she's struggling with, hardship with the boys, things she needs from me. And she goes, so what do you think? And I uttered the words, oh, you talking to me? I don't know, I thought maybe she's on the phone. Like maybe it was, but no, she was like trying to process. And guys, she was very, very gracious. But if you're a husband, you know that look in your wife's eyes when it's like, oh, I shouldn't have said that one because I just missed out on some intimacy with my wife and connecting with her. And I, I think I actually messed up. She was seeking some clarity and now things feel really unclear and we're about to have a hard next two hours and I was trying to get to bed by 8.30. And not only that, I'm gonna be lacking some purpose in my marriage because Jesus told me, bro, you gotta lay down your life for that woman and oh, you talking to me? Hey, but how often is this how we approach the scriptures, Right? hear great sermons, get great teachings, great Bible studies, but at the end of the day, I find myself going like, oh wait, God, you're talking to me. Now the Bible wasn't written to you, but it was written for you. And there are truths in the scripture that when we do this to the, the triune God of light and love, we miss intimacy with him. We miss an invitation to, to know light and love and life itself. The source and motivation of it all, as Natal said last week. 
Not only that, as the church, as the bride of Christ, we really, things get unclear. And so you say things like disciple or formation or discipleship, and, and you have all these differing answers and strategies, but is any of it informed by the king himself? And then we miss out on the purpose. Maybe the purpose of the church is build really great buildings, gather lots of people, and just be an attender. So give some money, fill the seats, we'll see you next week. The Christian life becomes about attendance. Is that what Jesus had for his kingdom? Or maybe is it, no, the Christian life is actually about authority. Not attending, but coming up under the authority of the king, surrendering, and then whatever he calls me to do, I'm in. Oh, are you talking to me syndrome really makes our faith not only lacking industry, not only unclear, but just really hard to find meaning and purpose in this life. So what I wanna do tonight is let's go to the master himself. Let's go to our teacher, our friend, our king and our savior, Jesus. And, and what I don't want you to do is put that, oh, he's talking to someone else syndrome on. Uh, Isaiah would say in the scriptures that God, like the, like the, the rain comes down on the land so it is with his word that it is always meant to produce growth. So would you look with me now, and even as we just heard it, let's just quickly revisit what is happening here at the end of Matthew's gospel. And, and look, because this is, this is something really significant we're stepping into the middle of. Um, the ladies just showed up and the tomb is empty. And so the women hurried away from the tomb and afraid, yet filled with joy. Notice the, some of the emotions that are gonna pop up for the disciples in this context. And ran to tell the disciples, but suddenly, I love how like, it's just like quick. We don't know where he came from. Is this like dimension, third like Marvel type stuff, Jesus? I can't wait to ask him one day. But suddenly he's there. Greetings, he said. They come to him and they clasp his feet. They just saw these feet three days ago get pierced on a cross beaten and laid in a tomb, and those same feet with holes in them, they're now holding on to and worshiped him. What was the disciples' primary response? Worship. And Jesus said to them, I love this. Do not be afraid and go and tell. I love any time throughout the narrative of scripture, you have, whether it's a spiritual being or God himself, he comes in power and in glory, and the response is fear. And he says, do not be afraid. God doesn't long for us to live our lives out of a motivation of fear. Now, there's a healthy fear, the reverence, respect. But even in that, there's still this motivation of Jesus longs for them to operate from a place of love. But not just to stay at his feet. There's the, it, again, he said this several times, go and tell. There's a proclamation. So the Christian life with the resurrection of Jesus should be one primarily of peace, but as well as proclaiming that we let others know the good news. And tell them that he is risen. 20, or 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Now that this is the 11 primarily, but some other, we look at the different context. There's anywhere up to 20, if not up to 500 that are at this gathering. But it's primarily, he's focusing in on the 11 in which he's planning to bring in his church. And the 11 went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. And they saw him. Resurrected Jesus. They see him. And their response, worship, but some doubted. Now, do I have skeptics in the room? Friends, 
I love the hard questions. I have wrestled, and there's something about it, and before I got some theological training with the training center here in Dallas Theological Seminary, I, I, was, I would get in these really dark places of doubt. And I love that even at the resurrection, standing right before him, worship is the appropriate response, but there's also an invitation to questions. It's actually okay and expected to go, how did you do that? You were in a tomb and now you're here, what, how? And if the disciples standing there visibly looking at the physical resurrected Christ get to doubt, I dang sure better be able to ask some questions here, right? That I could be able to, to have, there's a difference between unbelief and doubt and Jesus seems to be okay with one. Yet even when the disciple comes to him and says, help my unbelief. So I don't know tonight if you're like worship resurrected Jesus, let's get out there and make disciples. Yes, I don't know if you're at a spot that's like, I got some questions. I actually agree with the article at the beginning. I kind of feel like de-churching. Jesus still welcomed you. And if you're not in the game tonight and you're like, this, this all seems like hocus pocus unbelief, Jesus has some really beautiful things that you're missing out on in this life. And then, even in their doubt, Jesus says, the resurrected Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All, all power, the power to do something and the right to rule. Robert Cup, one of our founding pastors, he says that the narrative, the main question throughout the narrative of scripture is who has the right to rule? And Jesus stands here resurrected and says, me. To say that all the authority has been given to him in heaven and earth, that's an astonishing claim. That's a, that's a claim only God himself can make, right? That heaven, God's space, and earth, our space, now are completely under the rule of King Jesus. It's all his rule, and, and he has the right to rule everything. I mean, it's a new power that's unmatched. Um, regardless of where you look in history, you are never going to find a king or a political leader who has beat death. <laughs> As we just sang, he has power over sin and death and the grave. I mean, this is some real new power we're talking about, right? And in his power, he says, therefore, go and make disciples. And the, the term there is commission. And I, I don't know, I get so Christianese and I get familiar with that term commission, but I actually forget what it means. So shameless, like I literally Googled the definition. I was like, what is a commission? Do you know what the commission means? The act of committing or entrusting a person or group with supervisory power or authority and authoritative order to charge or direct someone. That, does, I don't, that, that makes me a little more uncomfortable actually because I thought it was just this, oh, you talking to me, kind of share Jesus where I want to, when I want to, how I want to kind of thing. But it seems like what he's saying here is, no, I'm talking to you. Come up under my authority. And Jesus could have done anything here. He could have said, uh, get out of my way. I'm bringing in the kingdom of God. I just defeated the grave. Let's go get Caesar and take over the world. Is that what he did? He, he could have said, um, I want you to memorize the Torah so well. I want you to know it in Hebrew and in Greek and in Aramaic. I just want you to fill your head with Bible until I come back. Is that what he said? I see Chris Simon sitting back here. Chris life verse is knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. 
is it build a great gathering for people to sit in and come and they just kind of get cushy and comfortable and just tell them to wait till I return and try to hold on till then? Is that what Jesus says? No, he says this. Go, order your life, begin this journey, ongoing, active, actually physically move and go, make disciples. This term here, make disciples, is only used a few times throughout the scriptures. Disciples is used several times, but this term make, it it refers to evangelism. It refers to sharing the good news. Um, What this doesn't mean is that I have the ability to make someone something. Um, I can't Christian somebody, for example. I can't say that this person, I can say this person is or isn't a Christian, but I can't come to them and say, hey, come here, I wanna make you Christian. Like, no, you either are or you are not. That term make there, though, is the invitation of inviting others to come be a part. So it seems like from this going, Jesus has the idea from the very beginning that his disciples are to go and invite others to follow and join. And imagine Peter in this moment. Like, Peter just denied him three nights ago, three times to his face. I mean, can you imagine the fear that he's feeling in that second? Of like, oh, dude, I didn't know you were actually gonna come back. (laughs) This is terrifying. If I would've known that, I wouldn't have said all those things. And Jesus is like, I told you, I told you so many times. And if you're like Peter, you might start asking some questions. Um, Well, what's a disciple? How do you make a disciple? where am I supposed to go? Is that like China or Rogers or home? Am I even qualified to make a disciple? Am I even a disciple? Do you find yourself asking any of those questions? Wouldn't it be cool if we had a church service where we just went through and answered each one? Let's do it. First, some cultural context. Um, Jesus is coming into a cultural time and a cultural moment, right? Um, he's not a 21st century uh, carrying an iPhone on Instagram Jesus, is he? No, this is first century entering in to a Jewish culture. And in Jewish context, in Jewish culture, you would have a, a rabbi, a teacher, uh, a spiritual leader, and this was the education system within the Jewish community. You had three different movements you would go through. Now, the first one was open to boys and ladies. Come on, ladies, we made it to the first round. Betzafar, which is the house of the book. Now, at the house of the book, this was going to be memorizing the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and being able to quote it, to recite it from memory. And then from there, most of it was like, go back to your family trade. Go be a carpenter. Go be a fisherman. Go sell the silk. Go, whatever your family's doing, farming, shepherding, get out of here. You know Torah. Some of those boys, though, that were doing pretty good at reciting some of those harder parts of Leviticus... Well, they'd get invited into the next part, which is the Bet Talmud, the house of learning. And this is where they would memorize the rest of the Old Testament. So they would have the first five books and then they'd get into the prophets and they would get into the writings and they're studying it. It's also where they would teach them to do what rabbis uh, are well known for, which is the the art of asking questions. So if you know in the, the scriptures when Jesus is engaging these rabbis and they're going back and forth with asking questions, that's actually a training, that's a tool that they teach in a way that they wanna learn together through questions. And then, the finest of the finest. I mean, you were lucky if you made it all the way through that part. You would get to what is known as the Bet Midrash. And this is where you would have a disciple, where a rabbi would take on one, two, or a few 
to really just dive straight into their interpretation of Torah, what they saw as the meaning of life, their view of God and all these things. And then you would literally give your life from ages 15 to 30 to following that rabbi in order to become like him and carry on his teaching. And the Bet Midrash, this was uh, no easy thing. They would actually, um, if there's one example where one rabbi had a limp and all of his uh, disciples were required, his Talmud is what it's called, his apprentices walked around with a limp because they wanted to be that much like him. And here comes Jesus. Now, not just a rabbi, right? If you think he's just a good teacher, you are missing out and you have not read the scriptures. Because Jesus is not just some rabbi, just some teacher off the streets. No, this is son of God, God incarnate with us. And this is the king of kings, Lord of lords. He comes and he walks through the streets. And does he go for the finest of finest Jewish boys? We just talked about Peter, fishermen with anger issues, yeah? Not exactly who you want in your ministry staff. Who else does Jesus come and have following him? Well, um, the poor. Not the upper class that can afford to get all the way through to becoming a rabbi. He goes to the poor, the sick and the lame, outcasts of society. Not only that, ladies, he's bringing in women at that Bet Midrash. He starts at the posture, whether they know Torah or not, and invites them in. Mary, Martha, at one point, a prostitute coming in and washing his feet with her tears is invited to become a disciple, an apprentice, a learner. And as you look throughout the Gospels, you, you begin to see there's, there's three goals Jesus has for every single one of his Talmud, his disciples. One is to be with him. He'll say, come, follow me to tax collectors, prostitutes, fishermen, the whole bunch. He says, come and follow me. Be with me. And from there, he, he moves on to, if you love me, then obey my commands. Take on my teaching, my way of life, and become like me. And lastly, it's, it's always with this go and tell. He sends them out. Go and tell, go and tell, go and tell to invite others into this new life that I'm bringing in called the kingdom of God. I love the way Louis Tevberg says this, walking in the dust of your rabbi. Great illustration of just staying close to your rabbi, your teacher. Jesus lived in a deeply religious culture that highly valued biblical understanding. Are we living in that culture now? Rabbis were greatly respected, and to be a disciple of a famous rabbi was an honor. Rabbis were expected not only to have vast knowledge about the Bible, but to show through their exemplary lives how to live by the scriptures. A disciple's goal was to gain the rabbi's knowledge, but even more importantly was to what? Become like him in character. It wasn't expected or it was expected when the disciple became mature, he would take the rabbi's teaching to the community at his own understanding and raise up disciples of his own. So a disciple, an apprentice, a, a, a learner, someone who gets close to the rabbi, becomes like the rabbi, and then carries it on. You following me? Okay, so how do you make a disciple? Our team has done a lot of work, the community team in particular, for the past two years, um, there's been studies done where churches begin to reach this ceiling because they cannot agree on terminology. So one person says discipleship means this, and another person says discipleship means this, and everybody's arguing about what it does or doesn't mean, and then they actually don't get to make disciples. You follow? 
So our team did some work and said, hey, can we just agree on some terminology and let's really look through the scriptures and this is what we came up with. Your staff here at Mosaic, um, from admin all the way up to Nick, we, we worked through what is, what is a disciple? And as we looked through it, it really is, it's a person. It's not just a program. It's not a ministry. It's not something some people do, some people don't do. It is a human being, a person with a story who follows Jesus, that is, takes on his way of life, learns his teachings, actually lives this life with God to become like him and partner in his mission that is to make all things new to the nations. It's a disciple. So yes or no, is that you? And then you get to this thing of, okay, well, what is discipleship? That's a fun word. Again, it's not just a program. It's not just a book. It's not just getting them through the scriptures, which is great. It is a process of following Jesus to become more like him and to partner in his mission. So who's a disciple maker? Well, by Jesus' definition, it's a disciple who goes along to intentionally help others join. And I love that term that, we, that, that the team came with. It's, it's helps. So if I love, and I actually do love this, if I love going to a coffee shop and having a, a newer, somebody new to the faith and getting into the scriptures and reading Romans and inductive study and doing theological method, is that discipleship? Yeah, for sure. Is that all that discipleship's limited to? No. Um, because there's 30 leaders out at Fall Retreat right now with sweaty sixth graders. I was just with them. I came here covered in sweat and I still smelled better than they did. And there are 30 men and women who've given up their weekend to go stay up till 2 a.m. tonight with some of your sixth graders as they make jokes and keep them up all night. I just... Remember last week I said booties and seats and now I've said it again and Christy Morris told me not to say booties and seats and I was like, oh, not booties and seats. And then I almost said passing gas jokes, which is the filtered version. Back to the notes. 30 leaders out there. Why? Because they're helping these sixth graders become more like Jesus. Um, sages, where are we at? Where are my ladies who are on the video? Let's hear it. Woo, that was very sage of you. yes. Getting together, I mean, we're just, what are we doing? Like, we're getting coffee, but I love the way uh, Bev Carter said it in that video. I have a space to come and grow and be known. Is that part of the process? Oh my gosh. What about if I love just to go out there and like find the person that doesn't know Jesus, like Brad Godwin over here, and I just wanna love the socks off them until they finally ask me, what is going on, why? And you go, boom, Jesus. That counts, right? That is helping somebody come into the mission of Jesus, isn't it? Here's what I want you to hear, friends. You are not only capable of this, you are doing this. I asked around and I said, hey, who this past week have you heard some stories about people who are helping others become more like Jesus? Jen Kanak, Linda Toomer, Campbell Hess, Jimmy Donahue, Logan Self, Brad Godwin, T.R. Laughlin, Larry Shu. Uh, uh, Laura Jo Akams, Hannah Holly, Aaron Graham, Lauren Toomer, Travis Jenkins, Ashish Sadai. Gosh, we need to get that guy teaching soon from Nepal. Laura Keeney, Will Spicer, Scott Jones, Chris Self, Kate Austin, Matt Friddle, Amy Smart, Jennifer Watkins, Eldon Watkins, Craig Ford, Leslie Godwin, Brian Armovich, A Ashley Aitken, and Melissa Church. Those are just from the past week asking a few people, hey, who is doing this of helping people become like Jesus? Moms, that's not even to mention the moms behind the scenes 
who are home all day with the kiddos, taking care of them and raising them up in the way. Or the dads who are laying down at the end of the day and they're exhausted and they're still praying and reading scriptures with the kids. That's not to mention the women's groups that are launching tomorrow, come get ice cream. That's not to mention the men's groups that'll be meeting this week and they get men together so that they can become more like Jesus. All of this across Northwest Arkansas because there's a little congregation that meets on Saturday nights called Mosaic where every single person in here sees themselves as a disciple of Jesus, following him, becoming like him, inviting others to do the same. You're doing a great job, team. More than anything, let's keep it up because Jesus doesn't want to stay in Northwest Arkansas. To our question, who can be a disciple? Well, Jesus answers very clearly. Who? All nations? I mean, that's different languages. You're telling me this isn't just an English thing? You know the Bible wasn't written in English, right? All nations and baptizing them. This is a whole new identity. This is a new community. This isn't just new power. Like God comes in with, with this new authority. This is a new identity for humanity. That we are in union with God and in harmony with one another because of Jesus on the cross. And I love the triune description here with the Father and with the Son and with the Spirit. All three are a part of this process with us. And all broken, all are matter. So maybe you're in the room tonight and you're like, man, I, I, I don't think I can help anybody. Well, what if you started that journey of actually becoming more like Jesus and then that actually becomes the way that you help others? It actually uses your brokenness and your weakness so that others can grow to be more like him. The apostle Paul would say, I boast in my weaknesses. So surely we can do the same. Next question. If not only who, well, what, where... Where do I do this? Or I'm sorry, what, what do I do? As a disciple, what do I do? Well, Jesus says, teaching and obey. Very clearly there, right? No, no, who are you talking to me here? Um, Jesus has a lot of relevant things he talks about for our culture, doesn't he? I mean, this past week, I had a dude who was telling me, I feel anxious, I feel insecure, and I feel like my life, like I'm just like, mm, God's not gonna take care of me. Hey, Matthew chapter six, Jesus has a great teaching on anxiety. Let's go look at it together and practice it. Sexuality, happiness, loneliness, money, careers, singleness, marriage, walking through difficulties and hardship, a love and forgiveness for enemy. That's not on Fox News right now, is it? But Jesus isn't looking for people just to come and listen and applaud to his teaching. He wants them to take it on as a way of life and invite others to do the same. And as we show this, it's, it's this act of surrender to God and obedience and, and that how we love him. What happens if I screw it up? I mean, you have to imagine the disciples being there and they're like, you, you want me to teach all nations everything you said? We're about to, like, we're gonna screw this up, which they do. Like, literally, the next, in Acts, they're, they're not doing great off the bat. But Jesus makes this promise. He says, surely I'm with you till the end of the age. This is a new presence, the new presence of God. And I love this. Um, Jesus promised that he will be with them. Okay, but wait, he's about to ascend to the throne room of God. How are you gonna be with us, Jesus? His Holy Spirit. It's, it's not some energy. It's not like Star Wars, like the force. May the force be with you. No, this is Jesus saying, hey, the same spirit that raised me from the dead, that, that mighty counselor, is going to indwell you. And now as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, God dwells within us and it brings about power and it brings about purpose unlike anything you've experienced in this life. So to, to sum, sum it up, 
how do you become like Jesus? How do I, okay, so I hear you call, make disciples, I wanna do that, I am doing that in some ways, I wanna grow in that, how do you do it? Well, well, when you look throughout the scriptures, it seems like there's four key things for the followers of Jesus. One is the Holy Spirit. Friends, I cannot, uh, on Celebrate Recovery, we have one of the first things we say, which is I cannot change myself. And I can't change anyone else for that matter. I've been trying to change an eight-year-old and a six-year-old for eight years. It's not working. Because I don't have the power to change anyone, much less myself. It's gonna take a higher power. And God gives us that power, the Holy Spirit, to, to walk with us in that process. But also, in Philippians, you'll see here in a little while, there's this crazy phrase Paul uses where he says, working out your salvation. God has gifted you the salvation, now you work it out. Which clearly means God has gifted a salvation and I get to do something with it, which is the spiritual rhythms. It's the practices. Confession, prayer, scripture reading, all, all these things that Jesus did, we, we do those things so that it helps us connect and walk with the Holy Spirit in this life. But also, it's not just us alone with the Holy Spirit in a prayer closet. We need community. We need other followers of Jesus. As our sages said earlier, to have that space where you can be exposed, encouraged, and equipped to go help others. And I would much rather, for people who don't know Jesus, I'd rather them end up at your kitchen table to get to know you and be loved by you before they come to a church service. I love people coming to church services. I just think relationship's gonna, gonna have a lot better way of building that foundation for them rather than just hiding in the back in an empty seat. And Jesus has this radical claim for his followers. Embrace and rejoice in trials and suffering. Why? Because he's the suffering servant. That when we walk through hard and difficult moments, those are actually ways as disciples of Jesus that we become formed to be more like him. I mean, look how it ends for most of these disciples he said this to. It's not great. But one disciple gets it really well. His name's John. And he says this. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. For God is love. Whosoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. For this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. John writes that in this world we are what? Jesus, the Talmudim, followers of him, being with him, becoming more like him, slowly, not, not just in a day, and inviting others to do the same. So three things for my beloved disciples in the room I'd love to invite you to do. And I don't know which one of these stands out most to you, but I do ask that you would take a moment with the Holy Spirit to see where he's leading you and inviting you into in this process. First, be a disciple. That's not something you ever stop doing as a follower of Jesus, by the way. Schedule in that time to love and learn from him. Not guilt trip you into it, not fear, like get out there, but out of love, spend time with him. Get in the scriptures. If you're in the scriptures once a week, you're missing out. He wants you in it regularly. Be with other disciples. In here for sure, but man, get in a small group. I mean, community groups are launched, we're going. And if you're out there trying to do the Jesus journey alone, it's gonna get really hard and messy and difficult for you. And then lastly, let's be a church that loves and invites you fill in the blank. Not just to come attend a service, that's great, they should come attend a service, we have a great service. 
but to actually come to be loved and to learn from Jesus and his followers. But friends, I can't encourage you enough. This is not something you and I are gonna be able to do on our own. It's gonna take a work of God in us. And this next song is called Abide, and it's one I specifically asked for because Jesus promises disciples that apart from him, you're not gonna do anything. So what I'd like for us to do is as we sing this song, whatever sense of control or let's muster up enough energy and take over the world, conquest. Let's surrender it to him and ask his spirit to do what only he can do in and through us so we can take it out to Northwest Arkansas and the world. Would you worship with me? For my waking breath for my daily bread I depend on you I depend on you for the sun to rise for my sleep at night I depend on you depend on you let's stand and sing this Depend 
God, we love you. Lord, we pray that we keep in step with your spirit. Lord, that as we love, as we learn to look what love's like, love is like from you, Lord, would it just leak out of us onto others? For the love of God is good and it's safe. It's the best place that we can know. Lord, we thank you for tonight and what a gift it is. We pray all these things in your name. Awesome church. Hey, one quick thing to remind you, we're in a season of, of launching our group, so here's our last look at the Serve Together slide. Uh, we've got a few things that we're still trying to fill, so if you see something on this slide that you uh, feel like you could uh, take part in serving our church and doing this, uh, come meet with some of our staff in the lobby or reach out on our website. Uh, we'd love to, love to get you connected and be a, part or, a deeper part of this church. Uh, that being said, Let's go in peace to love and serve the Lord and the people said. Thanks be to God. See you next week, church.